The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Tonight I want to go back to the book of Job. And I don't want to review like I did this morning, but I want to review quickly uh, what we've been talking about here in the book of Job. This is the third message that I've tried to preach on Job. We know that Job is the oldest written book in the scriptures, not dealing with the oldest things in history, but it's the, it was written even before Genesis was written. Moses wrote Genesis uh, and the rest of the five books of Moses uh, later on. And, and so it's fascinating to me because and it, it doesn't tell historical events. It tells about a relationship between a man named Job and his peers and especially his relationship with God. And we said this morning, and I'm going to repeat it every time I come back to the book of Job, that we need to understand Job because if we misunderstand Job, we very well may misunderstand the nature of God himself. This is the earliest account of God, earliest written account of God and who he is. And we know a lot about God from the declarations in the scripture. And, and we know that he is uh, you know, who he is. We can study about his attributes. But here we see God in action. And it's important that we understand what the book is all about. And as I said this morning, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. So look over to the fifth chapter of James, and we'll just reread that verse 11 there. If you really want to know what all the book of Job is about, here it is. Behold, in James 5, 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. I've heard people say, I don't like the book of Job, because I don't like what God did to Job. If you think God is doing this to Job, you've missed the point of the book of Job. You've not read it correctly. You've not understood it correctly. Now, I realize, I, I even myself, I grew up uh, uh, thinking those very same thoughts and interpreting Job in a way differently than I believe it's supposed to be interpreted. But if you want to really know what it's about, this is not exhaustive, this is not uh, exclusive, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I see at least three themes to the book of Job. Two of them are mentioned right here, the patience of Job. The patience of Job is a theme and how he endures suffering. Also, the pity of God, the pity of God upon Job. He is, you know, if you read Job and come away with a feeling that, oh, God is arbitrary and he's mean and he's manipulative and he's, he's, he's something to be not just feared in a reverent way, but terrified of because you never know what he might do to you, then you've missed the point of God. Here the end of Job, or the end of the Lord rather, it's not the end of Job, it's the end of the Lord, is that he is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We'll see this as we go through this book. We'll see as you read this book, you'll understand that Job is about the love and tender mercy of God, the pity of God, but also it's about... <laughs> The pride of God, <laughs> okay? Now, now, when I say pride in relation to God, I don't mean it in a bad way. God is proud of Job. God is, we read this morning how he pointed out Job. He said, have you considered my servant Job? He's not saying, hey, go get him, Satan. He's saying, let me show you how true believers serve me out of love, out of out of reverence, out of faithfulness. Look at this faithfulness. We're told that he was the greatest 
of all the men on the earth. In fact, in chapter 1 of Job, in verse 8, this is what God says to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? There was nobody better in his actions, better in his service than Job was in that day. A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. That doesn't mean he was sinlessly perfect. It simply means he was mature. He was spiritually mature. He wasn't sinlessly perfect. He was spiritually mature. And he was serving God in a way that demonstrated to those around him that he was a child of God and that he was, he was a lover of the Lord. And that's what Job was first and foremost. He loved God. He loved his family. I'm sure he took care of his flocks and loved them to the extent that, that you can on this earth. But he loved God. And God affirmed that. This, when Job makes some claims later on about how he was faithful, he's not lying about it, and he's not puffing those claims. Now, now the, the fourth theme that I think runs through the book of Job, though, that we need to remember is this. It's, as I said, Job wasn't perfect. So not only are we looking at the pride of, you know, God is proud of us. God, is, God delights in the faithfulness of his children. I, I, it's hard for me to fathom that when I consider myself to be a worm of the dust. But yet, when he, is, he has taken me from the beggar's dust of this world, and he has placed me in the palaces of his own throne room through the blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he, he wants to see me do well. He wants to see me serve him. And when I do, he delights in that. He's not delighted when we, when we stray away. He's not delighted when I neglect him. But when I am faithful to him, especially in the crucible of suffering, he is delighted with me. So here we have God's pride. But now another theme that runs through this book that you, you'll see as you read it is, is, is the pride of Job and his friends. Okay, As I said, they're not sinlessly perfect. They're not sinlessly perfect. There's some pride involved. You're going to hear Job kind of boast a little bit later on. And, 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 and in a sense, I can understand it. His friends come to him and keep, keep wearing him out with this idea that God wouldn't be punishing you if you hadn't done something wrong. <laughs> and and, and they, they presume two things. Number one, that God's doing it. And number two, that Job must be some great hypocrite. And, and then we hear Job start lifting himself up a little bit. And certainly all those miserable comforters were prideful. And I want to tell you, beloved, there is nothing like the valley of suffering to, to, to weed out all the pride from your life. It is hard to be prideful when you're laying flat on your back, suffering in this world. So this morning we saw the situation Job could see in the first five verses where he was doing pretty well. His family was doing well. His, his health was fine. His material blessings were still there. And he was still being faithful. He was, he was sacrificing on a regular basis, even on behalf of his children. Like today, we would say, I pray daily for my children. I pray daily for my family. I pray not only that they would just, you know, he wasn't just praying, Lord, I want them to prosper. I want them to have great you know, great estates and, and, and positions of authority. He was praying, God, I hope they haven't offended you. And if they, but if they have, I'm going to try to intercede on their behalf because I love you more than them 
but I love them a lot, and I want you and them to be reconciled together. Now, he was, well, he's not teaching here some kind of vicarious uh, uh, reconciliation. You know, that's still a personal relationship. It's still a personal thing between you and God. But did you know that, that it's important that we pray for one another? It's important that when we see one another, sometimes we don't know what's going on. And, and, you know, I don't know what's going on in Brother James's life, you know. I need to be praying for him that the Lord would be with him. I need to be praying for him. I may say, you know, Brother James might have slipped up today. He might have done something wrong today. Lord, forgive him. You know, that's an appropriate prayer. And it's not because of, it's not because, uh, it is because I love Brother James, but it's not only because I love Brother James. It's primarily because I love God. And I know he's one of his children, and I want to see them. You know, God is, is pleased, as I said, when he delights in our service to him. And the situation Job could see is everything was going well. But, you know, it reminds us in every situation we can see, there's a situation we cannot see. And we talked this morning about how I don't believe this is heavenly, a heavenly scene. This is a scene where the sons of God, that is, children of God, Probably Job and his children himself came to present themselves before the Lord. You know, they were coming to worship him. That's a worship service like this. You know, several reasons that I don't believe it's a, it's a scene in heaven. One is Satan came among them, and Satan is not welcome in the, in the throne room of God. Satan is no longer welcome, welcome in heaven. Plus, it says there was a day, and there's no day in heaven. It's just a, an eternal day. There's no separate days or passage of time. But we saw where the devil came along, and, and, and as we left it this morning, we saw God's purpose. The struggle is about to begin, and here is God's purpose. Look in verse 8. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Now again I say, I say what I said at the beginning. If you go away from Job thinking God is some kind of mean-spirited manipulator, you have missed the point. What is mean-spirited in this? What do you see in this other than God being proud of one of his children? You know, like we would be proud of our children. When my children do well, I'm proud of that, you know? It's, you know, uh, God, you know, they didn't have Facebook in that day. God couldn't put on Facebook, look at Job, you know? Uh, we, it probably, I, I, I suggest that probably God would, uh, would, would, would not have touched Facebook with a 10-foot pole, but be that as it may. Uh, so, you know, that's what we do today, right? We see our children do something great, and we put it on Facebook. We like, you know, we're proud of them. Well, this is God broadcasting. Look at Job. Job is doing right. I am so proud of him. I love him so much, and I love how he serves me. I delight in him. Satan, can you see it here? <laughs> and that's kind of where we left it this morning. So tonight, I want us to Look at Satan's purpose here. See, God's purpose was to praise Job. But notice what Satan's purpose is. Satan's purpose is to get Job. He's to get him. Notice the answer that Satan gives in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. <laughs> but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. There's several things to unravel here about what Satan says. The first thing we need to notice is that Satan cannot believe that anybody would serve God 
for naught, for, for that anybody would be a servant of the Lord that's not doing it with an improper motive of getting some kind of gain. You know, we mentioned this morning about friends maybe you've had where uh, they quit being your friend when you quit buying their lunch. <laughs> you know, when they, when they lost their free ride, they quit being the See, See, jo, uh, Satan believes Job is a paid lover of the Lord. He says, you take away the blessings now, and he's going he's gonna to kick you to the curb, Lord. He's not going to love you anymore. Now, <clears throat> one of the things, Satan, Satan cannot fathom that. See, partly because, especially at this time, see, I don't, Satan's not omniscient. Satan is not, you know, I don't know what he knew about God's purpose in eternal salvation, but I know he didn't know all about it. I don't know if he suspected that the Messiah was coming. I know he, I tell you what, now, he, he knew enough to know that there was going to be a, a day when he would be tormented. There's going to be a day when he's going to be overthrown. You know, those demons that Jesus cast out said something to Jesus, said, are you here to torment us before the time? <laughs> I don't know. I don't believe, though, that Satan knew all the details. I don't know that he knew the timing. I don't know. You know, I believe when he was tempting the Lord, part of the reason he was tempting the Lord Jesus over there was to prove for himself that this really was the seed of the woman that was to come and bruise his head. But be that as it may, here he cannot fathom the ultimate glory of the grace of God in eternal salvation. Doth, God, doth Job serve God for naught? You know what the answer to that is? Do you serve God for nothing? You know what the answer to that is? We don't serve him for nothing. We don't serve him for nothing. But the, the, the things that we're serving him for doesn't have anything to do with the material blessings that we have in this life. You know why we serve him? We serve him because he's blessed us with the greatest blessing of all time, which is our eternal salvation. Eternal redemption that's found only in the blood of Jesus. You're going to hear Job later on talk about his redeemer living. You see, Job, you know, when Job gets down, he, he, he begins to suffer like this. And in the midst of his suffering, it's like there's a point that he comes to in the 19th chapter where the only thing that picks him up is he says, I want you, he, he, I love the way he says, I want these words to be eternal words. He says, oh, that my words were now written, that they were graven with iron and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my redeemer liveth <laughs> I know that my redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth and yea though the skin worms destroy this body yet in my flesh will I see God whom I shall see for myself and not another Job really wasn't serving God for nothing, but it wasn't the nothing that the, that, that, uh, the devil was talking about. <laughs> the devil was talking about the wrong nothing, okay? Uh, Job was serving him because he knew he was a sinner. He knew he needed salvation, and he knew God had somehow provided it to him, even though he didn't know all the details. He didn't know the name of Jesus Christ. He, didn't pro he may not have even known the name of the town of Bethlehem, but he knew that his Redeemer lived. He wasn't serving God for nothing. And I want to say to you, beloved, forget about all the blessings that you've ever wanted in your life. Forget about all the blessings you've ever had in your life. Just pretend from this moment forward, God never blesses you again in this life. 
Just, just think for a moment that you never have another easy breath. You never have another day where anything works out, where the stock market goes your way, where the election goes your way, where your health goes your way. Just pretend that from this moment forward there will be no peace, nothing but pain, nothing but suffering, nothing but sorrow in your life. And guess what? You've already been blessed beyond measure. You've already been blessed more than you deserve. And you have the greatest blessing waiting on you that, that, that you can't even fathom in this life. The half has not been told, as the Queen of Sheba said to Solomon. <laughs> the half has not been told of the riches that we're going to have in glory. You say, boy, I've got plans. I've got, I want to see my ball team win. I want to go fishing. I want to go hunting. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to, I want to do all these things. Well, I hope you get to. I hope you experience those blessings. I have some things I want to do. I have some blessings I desire of God. But if he never blesses me again, the greatest blessing that I'll ever receive from him, I've already received through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, on that day, when he stands again on this earth, guess what? I know my Redeemer liveth too. And he has redeemed me from the curse of sin, and I will live with him forever. See, Job really wasn't serving God for nothing. But the devil, Satan, just didn't understand what the nothing was that he was talking about. He thinks that because God has made a hedge about him and because God has protected him on every side, that that's the only reason Job is serving God. Now, if you buy into the prosperity gospel of this day, that may very well be the case you find yourself in, that the only reason you serve him is because of what you can get out of him. That's what the prosperity gospel says, that, oh, if you just had enough faith, God would bless you with all these material things. Give, give the church $100, you'll get $10,000, but you've got to do it in faith. you just got to have enough faith. Some say if you've got enough faith, you'll be healed from all your cancer, all your problems, everything will go well with you. If you buy into that, you'll end up being a paid lover of the Lord. But that's not what we are. You see, the devil can't fathom that. Satan can't fathom the great glory of the gift of the grace of God and how much it ought to inspire us to serve the one who has paid it all for us. You know, that's the problem with the messages out in the world. Because the messages out in the denominational world, and indeed throughout the world, any message that's not based upon the sovereign grace of God, is that part of your salvation, at least, is up to you. Some say all of it is. You know, I don't owe God whole. I don't owe Him much if I've worked my way into heaven, right? He owes me. <laughs> that's what happens when you work. You get paid wages. You you earn wages. So if you're working your way to heaven, you're earning. The wage of eternal life. The problem with that is you'll never earn it. <laughs> There's not enough work you can do out there. All your righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. The devil cannot fathom the kind of service that understanding the gift of grace engenders in one of God's children. And something else here that's very important to notice, because I've heard it said before and I... Unfortunately, I've probably said it before in my ministry in years past that God instigated this against Job. In other words, God pointed Job out to the devil. 
And before that, the devil was just, you know, minding his own business, doing something else. You notice, that's not what the text tells us, is it? He said, hast thou considered my servant Job? And you know what the devil said? He said, yeah, I've been considering him. You made a hedge about him, Lord. The implication is I've been trying to get to him and you won't let me. I've been wanting to, to destroy him and his substance. I've been wanting to destroy his health and his family. But you got this hedge about him, Lord. You got this hedge here that's, uh, that's keeping me out. In other words, the devil, let me, let me say this to you. Don't you ever think that the devil doesn't know more about you than you know about yourself. He's a whole lot smarter than you. Now, he's not omniscient, but he, he and his minions are a whole lot smarter than you are. That's why I hear these preachers on TV sometimes calling out the devil. Satan, I, you know, I call you down. And I, Listen, you're not going to hear me say that. You know why? Because I'm afraid of the devil. <laughs> I'm not going to have any bravado in the devil's face. Now, look, I know he's been defeated. I know that ultimately I'm going to win, but there's a lot of havoc that he can wreak upon me here today. And I'm scared of the devil. And he never tells us to attack the devil. You know, I know we've said, I've said this before, and, and, and you know what I mean when I say it. You know, I feel so lifted up in the spirit that I feel like I could charge hell with a water pistol, you know. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we feel that way, but let me just say, don't ever do it. <laughs> Don't ever do it because you'll lose. He will destroy you in this life. He said, resist the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. God has provided us with some armor and he's provided us with some things that will protect us, but, but we cannot rebuke him like Jesus did. The devil's been all about Job, all about coming to get Job. And then the third thing that you need to get from this that I think is so important here, and it almost brings tears to my eyes every time I read it. Because one thing, one thing we need to get from the book of Job is a firm understanding of the nature of God and what he's doing and the nature of the devil and what he's doing. You know, as I said, sometimes people will say, well, look what God did to Job. Is that really true? Listen to this. Look at verse 11. Satan says, Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. <laughs> you know what he's doing here? The devil is tempting God to do exactly what the absoluter says God does. The, the ones who believe in absolute predestination of all things believe that God, they'll never say he's the author of sin, but they believe he he, he purposes and plans everything, including the sin of Adam, and he, he predest, absolutely predestinated and ordained it from before the foundation of the world, and that makes God the author of sin. He's tempting God to be an absoluter. <laughs> That's what he's doing right here. He says, God, you reach out and touch him. You reach out and touch him, and he will curse you to your face. Now, i got to be honest with you. When I, you know... You think about yourself, you know, somebody comes up to me and says, hey, big boy, you do this. And I'm like, well, I sure will. You know, that's my, that's my inclination. And, well, okay, we'll see how this goes. You know, I'll sure do it. Because somebody dares me to do something. That's basically what the devil's doing, dares God to do this. Well, we'll just see. I'll do it. You know, that's my human nature. Praise God that his nature is so different than mine. 
Because notice that he, the Lord didn't get into a theological argument with him. He didn't, he didn't get into a long discussion. Notice what he said in verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Thy power. You see, one of the main things to take out of these first two chapters of Job is the nature of God and what he's doing and the nature of Satan and what he's doing. It is clear from both the first and second chapters that the purpose that Satan has on this earth is to afflict the brethren, the children of God. He is the adversary. That's what his name means. He is the, he is in, in the New Testament, the, the, the devil, the, the word devil means the slanderer. The one, that's what he's doing here, isn't it? He's just slandering Job. He's saying, God, you know Job. He's really a hypocrite. He's not serving you uh, for the right reasons. He's serving you just because of all the things you're doing for him. <laughs> Notice that's the, what he, that's the purpose. That's the nature of Satan. The nature of Satan is to attack and afflict and to slander and to try to destroy God, his kingdom, and his people. But notice what God's role is. And God always plays his role. He's always consistent. You know, people, that's one of the things that I love about certain people. As you know, they're always the same. They're always consistent. You know, and sometimes we're really not, are we? You know, sometimes even the people that we trust the most will let you down. But God is always consistent. He never, ever lets us down. He's, he, he is, his role is the keeper of the hedge and the protector of his children. He's the lover of our souls. He loves us with an everlasting love. He loves us and draws us with loving cords. It may be that bad things happen in our lives. It may be that tragedies occur in our lives. But remember that God loves you. You may not understand what's happening in this world around you, but remember God loves you. The things that happen to you are not, you know, God gets blamed for so many things He didn't do. God is not causing the tragedies of this world. He is not working with the sin of this world to make things good for you in an ultimate sense. He's not got some secret plan out there. What He is doing is He is keeping the hedge. And sometimes He lowers it and sometimes He raises it. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But, but He's always there protecting you. Notice what He said. All that He hath is in thy power, but He put limits upon it. Only upon Himself put not forth thine hand. <laughs> I love the fact that, you know, sometimes we think there's a, there's a thing called dualism out there. And it says that there's two gods in the world. There's God and there's Satan, and they're equal, and they're, they're constantly fighting back and forth for control. But I want to tell you tonight, Satan is not the opposite of God. The opposite of God would be just as strong and just as, just as powerful as God. Satan is a created being. He is less than God. He is the enemy of God, but he is less than God. He's greater than you, but he's less than God. And only the things that he suffered to do can he accomplish in this world. Let's look at that right quick as our time is closing here. God stays true to his nature. He doesn't touch Job in any way. But Satan does, and notice what happens. Verse 13. 
And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone am escaped, I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, think about all these, this terrible news coming one after another, after another, after another, and yet here's the worst part of it of all. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Oh, let me just say to you, beloved, the devil can wreak havoc in our lives. He can wreak havoc in our lives. Now, in this case, we've already said Job did nothing to instigate this, okay? But I'm telling you this as a warning as well. Let's be like Job. It may happen, but oh, don't, don't, don't play around with the devil. Don't, the devil is not your friend. Look how much he hated. You know, the devil, sometimes we think that the devil has his people and God has his, and the devil loves his people and God loves his people. The devil don't love anybody. The, de- the devil hates even his own people. You know, Jesus said there, there are, are some, he said that, there are ye, that ye are of your father the devil. Okay? Well, he has a people, all right, in that sense that, that, uh, that they're like him. They're not children of God, but he doesn't love them. He's not out to try to help them. He's not dying to save them, you see. He hates them, and he sure hates the children of God. He hates us with a passion, and oh, he can wreak havoc. Don't, don't make friends of the world. Don't make friends of the devil and his minions. He'll never do anything but wreak havoc in your life. But Job didn't do anything. Remember, this is not a case of Job having done something and having to be punished for it, other than, as we said, there's a little pride involved. But we'll talk about that later on. But I want you to see, you know, you say, well, look what God did to Job. Well, hang on. We've already said that the devil tempted God to do this, and the Lord didn't take the bait. And now look at what happens. Look at what happens and see if it sounds more like God or more like Satan. It says in that first part I read about that there were some Sabaeans that fell upon his oxen and his, uh, his, his, his material substances and killed everybody there. And down in the 17th verse, there were some bands of Chaldeans that came upon the camels and some more of his stuff, okay? Now, you don't have to turn there, but you remember, you remember what it says about, about Satan over in Ephesians chapter 2? When it starts off, it says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, whereas in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the what? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh among the children of disobedience. You remember that? <laughs> You remember that the fact that, that this spirit is working 
you know, the devil and his spirits, the devil and his minions are working among those ungodly persons of the world. He's working among the, 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 the principalities and the powers. He, he tells us in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, we're not warring against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. What he's talking about is, is that all the wickedness you see in the world is orchestrated by the devil himself. And these wicked men that came and fell upon him here, over in, over in the book of Luke, I'm going to turn there right quick because I want to get it right. Luke, the uh, third chapter, I believe it is, um, or the fourth chapter, I'm sorry, the fourth chapter, the account there of, uh, of the devil tempting Jesus. Notice in the chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, The devil, taking him up unto a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, now listen, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever will I give it. In other words, the devil is telling us here that he's got power in the world. He has power among the kingdoms of the world, all these kingdoms. Now, you know, I, I know we talk about our, our, our nation, uh, the United States of America being a Christian nation, but the truth of the matter is uh, the only real Christian nation, the only real godly nation that ever existed was the nation of Israel. It was a nation that, uh, that God uh, had, uh, had placed his favor upon uh, in the Old Testament days, and now all these other nations are Gentile nations, and the truth of the matter is the devil is very active among them. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't seek to elect godly people. We ought to do everything in our power to keep our nation focused upon the things of God. It started out in a great way, focused upon that. Many of the founding fathers were predestinarian believers, either Presbyterian or Baptists of some sort in their day. But, uh, but listen, don't ever think that this nation, that our salvation is going to come through some kind of political revival in this nation. The devil has dominion over the kingdoms of this world. And that's, see, the Sabaeans... And the Chaldeans, guess who stirred them up? You think it was God? No, it was the devil. All right, look at, look at, look at the next, look at the fire of God fell upon them. You know what, that's, that's just a great, I believe that's a reference to lightning. That's a reference to just a great lightning storm came upon, upon these sheep and the servants. That's, that's, that's the, the fire out of heaven, okay? The fire that came down from from, uh, from above, and, and also then a great wind, okay? A great wind came and smote the four corners of the house. What is, what is the devil called? We just, we just quoted it from Ephesians 2. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the prince of the power of the air. Who does this sound like? Who do you think is acting here? Does it sound like God, or does it sound more like Satan? I believe it sounds like Satan to me. I hope it does to you. And ultimately... All this tragedy fell upon Job in one day. And as we bring this to a close, you remember, you remember how we, we talked about the themes, the patience of Job, the, the pity of the Lord, which we're going to get to, and the pride of God, God being proud of the children of his who act in, a, in the right way, even in the face of suffering. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head. And this is the point where if, if this were the book of Chris, it would probably say, and Chris laid down 
and pitched a fit unlike any that you've ever seen in the history of the world <laughs> and cried and wailed and cursed God and, and sang, poor pitiful me, poor pitiful me. I mean, I hate to admit it, but, you know, I've told y'all before, I, I get so tired of having to confess. I'm going to make y'all all come up here and confess one Sunday morning. We're just going to have a confession Sunday, and y'all going to have to come up here and do it. But I'm confessing to you, I sure haven't always acted like Job. Things go bad, things go wrong, just minor things. Sometimes I lose my cool. I, I, I get frustrated, and I just throw up my hands and say, ah, oh, what's the point? That's what Job's wife is going to say here in a few minutes, in a, in a chapter or so. But notice what Job did. Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. He worshipped. He worshipped this Lord that he had his hope in. He worshipped the God who he knew was his Redeemer and would one day stand upon this earth and would redeem him in a real and physical way that his body would be taken home to heaven. And he said in verse 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now two things right there as we bring this to a close. First of all, Job had the right view of himself, didn't he? He, he, you know, we, we tend to get lifted up. We probably look at all I've done. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar is not this great Babylon that I have built. <laughs> you know, I walk around sometimes, you know, over there. Is this not the great McCool hillside that I have built? Tim might disagree with me. He might say he had something to do with it. But, you know, is not this my house? You know, <laughs> sometimes do we, get, do we get caught up in things sometimes, material things? You know, I'm, I'm thankful for the warm house that I have and the fact that it keeps out the rain. And, you know, I'm, is this, boy, I'm proud of my house. And, you know, right now I'm not too proud of my house. I got a leak somewhere in the corner of the dining room and I can't find it. And at this point I realize that this great house that I have built ain't so great anymore. <laughs> Job remembers, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. You know, as they always say, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. He had the right view of himself. And I believe here he had the right view of God. Notice what he says. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, now often we hear that is, is like this. Well, the Lord gave these blessings. He gave these material things and then he took them away. But, but you see, that's not quite right. Because we've already seen where it wasn't God that touched him. It was the devil. It was Satan. And another reason that I think that might be just a little bit off on the interpretation is because of the next verse, verse 22. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. In, my, in the center column of my Bible here, it says that another translation of that that would have been appropriate, the KJV translators put this in here, it, another translation that would have been appropriate, appropriate would have been in all this Job sin not nor attributed folly to God. Don't we sometimes attribute folly to God? We say, God, why did you do this to me? I tell you, uh, I, I'll never forget one of the first vivid memories of my younger years was when Ralph Jr.'s, uh, Ralph's daddy, Big Ralph's 
hay barn burned up way back when we were kids. Uh, it happened during church, <laughs> and and somebody came and got him, and I, we saw it, and then we we left church, and we and we drove around there to see it, and here it was is a big conflagration. It was burning up all the uh, equipment that was in there. I think they got one or two pieces out, and I was like, I was so angry. I said, God, why? Why are you doing this? I was charging God foolishly. It wasn't God doing that. <laughs> it happened because there was some green hay in the barn, you know. It happened, it happened for reasons other than the Lord. The Lord didn't light a match and set it down there. Sometimes we think God lights a match to every conflagration in our lives. But Job is not saying this. I believe what he's talking about here is the hedge. The hedge. He's saying God gave the hedge. And God hath taken away the hedge. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, when you see God like Job sees, and, and by the way, he says, God, he didn't charge God foolishly. When you see God like Job saw God, you won't find yourself doing what I did when the hay barn burned. You won't find yourself doing what many do when tragedy strikes. So many times tragedy in someone's life shakes their faith to the core and you say, why, God, are you doing this? When the truth of the matter is, God's not doing it. Now praise his name as we see in Job and as we'll see as we continue that God is a great overruler of all the manipulations and the wiles of the devil that he could ever come up with. Ultimately, we're going to see, you remember James? James said this book is about God being pitiful and merciful. He's being pitiful and merciful. And as I said this morning, I'll leave you with this. Job ultimately is recompensed in a great way. He, he had more material things at the end of, end of this book and the end of his sufferings than he had to start with. He had another great family. That, that came, God blessed him in so many ways, okay? In a great way, overruling all of, the, all of the terrible things that the devil has done. But what if God hadn't blessed him at all? What if God had never blessed him again? What if Job had died in this? What, do you know people that have gotten in the midst of troubles and they die? We said it this morning, but I want to say it again tonight. The best day in the life of a child of God is the day he dies. I've never had a greater day than I'll have on whatever day my death day is. January 1st, 2020 was the best day of my daddy's life. He had a lot of good days. He had a lot of great days. He had a lot of mountaintop experiences, but he never had a day like that day that came at 12.15 in the morning on January 1st of 2020, because on that day, all of his sufferings were over, all of his pains were done, all of the troubles of life and the worries that he had were, were eliminated, and he was in the presence of the, very, the one who loved him more than mama loved him, more than we loved him, more than his mom and daddy loved him. He was there in the presence of his Savior, Thou shalt call unto me, Job says, and I'll answer you. You'll have a desire to the work of your hands. The Lord had a desire to the work of his hands and called him home. Praise God. Remember this, beloved, as we face the troubles of life. Remember the nature of God, that it's a loving, 
pitiful, merciful uh, nature. It's a, it's a nature that loves us and is there for us and is, is certainly in the midst of the crucible of suffering with us with a, with a view towards, towards extricating it, us from it in some way or, or fashion. If ultimately through the portal of death. Praise God for Job. I'm thankful we have his example. But you know, I'm more thankful that we have, we know the truth that Job didn't know. We know the rest of the story that Jesus Christ came. He was born of a virgin. He hung on a cross and he saved his people from their sins. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.